everyone. This is the Crime Cafe, uh, where we get to talk with uh, crime, suspense, and thriller authors, where they give us the straight scoop. And uh, my name is Debbie Mack, and today we have Com Thomas Kaufman with us, who is the author of the Willis Gidney mystery novels, as well as a filmmaker. Uh, Thomas, um, you're one of my favorite authors. I mean, I love your writing. And, um, oh, you. oh, I wanted to, before I get started with you, to remind everyone that all the authors appearing on Crime Cafe will have, have donated a book or a short story to the Season 1 Crime Cafe Story Package, which you can buy at crimecafe.net for 99 cents. So for seven novels and three short stories, it's a real deal. So, uh, Thomas, um, tell me, um, Willis Gidney, to me, he's one of the most fascinating detectives right now in, in contemporary uh, crime fiction. Uh, maybe because I live in the D.C. area, it helps, but um, I'm just maybe the tiniest bit biased. But Willis Gidney seems to represent something about D.C. and... Uh, something larger in general. Can you talk about him and his, uh, you know, what makes him tick? Wow. Well, I think the question of what makes him tick is a question that we want readers to think about too. You know, it's one thing to say, well, you know, Willis, like if I were a doctor, I was going to try to diagnose this character and I could name all sorts of conditions and problems and, you know, psychosis that he may, or neuroses that he may or may not have. But, what, what we writers want is to write about a character and trying to like let that character be who he or she is and then let the readers make decisions about what's going on in that character's head. Why are they responding a certain way? Like a reader might look at something that Willis does or how Willis reacts to something and know that they themselves, the readers, wouldn't react that way. And so they're wondering, well, why is he reacting? this way what's going on for him so sometimes I'll read a book and weeks after I've read that book I'm still thinking about the characters in it and I know other people who are not writers I mean anyone who reads a good book really good book is going to think about it afterwards because that writer succeeded in bringing those characters alive in the minds of the reader and so I think as writers that's what we're all trying to do and with Willis I think it's they're detectives who are so good at what they do. They're kind of like, you know, I'm thinking of uh, Robert B. Parker and Spencer, for instance. And Spencer's a great private eye character, and I, I, and I love what Parker did with him. But in a way, he's kind of the perfect detective. He's sort of like, and I wanted my detective not to be that way. And so uh, I had him grow up homeless and without parents in the district. And that experience of that and going through uh, DC's juvenile justice system has, you know, in one way worked against him, but in another way, you know, it benefits him in certain situations too. So that's the kind of give and take that, you know, we experience as people in real life. And so I think it makes sense for our characters to experience that too. Yes. Um, he has a particular past that I find interesting. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, uh, his past, you know, as I mentioned, was uh, homeless and without kids, but he also doesn't have a lot of early memory. So 
he doesn't remember things until the first time he got arrested. That's like the first really clear incident. It's like a milestone or a marker for him in terms of, you know, where was he in life when that happened? He doesn't know his exact age. And he also doesn't really know his given name. I mean, Willis Guinea is not the name that he's born with. We're pretty sure about that. So it's a detective who doesn't really know much about himself. And for various reasons, is sometimes wanting to know and other times is not wanting to know about himself. Hmm. And that's, I think it creates conflict within that character. And again, as writers, conflict is, you know, what makes the plane fly. Without that, we're, you know, we're just stuck on the runway somewhere. Conflict is the medium through which story is told. So if you have a character who's got inner conflict, that's good. If you have a character that's got inner conflict and he's also in conflict or she's in conflict with people around her or him, that's good too. If you have a character that's got the inner conflict, it's got interpersonal conflict with the people around them, but also it's got some conflict with just society at large or parts of it. I mean, Gidney is a person who has a lot of trouble dealing with authority. And so when he's presented with organizational issues or, you know, working for a company or, you know, trying to deal with the police department, then he, it, you know, is pushing his buttons. It's, there's conflict there also. So uh, that's kind of the character that I'm trying to write about. And that those different levels of conflict help propel the story forward. I mean, you still need a plot to hang all that on. But yes. without, without the conflict, and you know, it's interesting because I, I think about that when I read writers that I like a lot. Like I'm reading a, read a Donald Westlake book, one of my favorite writers, and he wrote a book called Trust Me on This. And it begins with a woman driving in a rental car down the road, which you think is just, you know, it's, wow, what an uneventful way to begin the story. And where's the conflict in this first page? I mean, there's no dead body, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> in the first X number of pages, you know. So, and you read it and you say, well, the conflict is that the terrain that she's driving through is very inhospitable. She's got the windows up, the air conditioning's on. It's, you know, she's like in this little enclosed space traveling down this road to a destination she's not sure she's going to like. And that, you know, is enough in the beginning to propel us forward. But if you were to write that same opening sequence to a novel and say like, oh, you know, it was a beautiful day and the sun was out and she had her windows down and was kicked back with her feet on the dashboard and, you know, the car was on autopilot. I mean, <laughs> there's not much of a conflict to propel you to want to keep reading. And so, you know, just as a different types of character conflicts or all different types of conflicts, a writer can introduce into a narrative that makes, that keeps tension going. This is one of the things that I think is hardest as a writer is to maintain tension from page to page, paragraph to paragraph, sentence to sentence. And so we can do it with plot, but if we can do it with character, I think it becomes much more interesting. I think you're absolutely right on that. And uh, it's, what it's what distinguishes good writing or fair writing from great writing. Um, I'm reminded of uh, Raymond Chandler, the way he started off one of his novels. It was one of those nights the Santa Ana winds were blowing and something about wives thinking about putting knives to their husband's throats. I think really this is the essence of um, hard-boiled crime fiction, that, that whole feel of, uh, of tension and mm -hmm. well, also, I think murder that, in the air, if you will. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's true, but I also think that it's true for mainstream fiction also. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you're spending 300 pages plus in someone's head. Exactly. <laughs> you hope there's, you know, there's got to be conflict. I mean, the writer knows there's going to have to be conflict to propel the story forward, no matter what. Exactly. Uh, so it's, it's not, I don't think that idea is limited to crime fiction, but I think, you know, in any kind of genre fiction, there's certain expectations that the reader goes in with. And I think crime fiction, you know, to be successful, you've got to do what William Goldman said. William Goldman's another writer that I like a lot. He did, I love uh, him. Yeah, Princess Bride, Butch Cassidy mm -hmm. and the Sundance Kid, Marathon Man. I mean, he wrote a lot, a lot of great movies uh, and wrote a lot of great novels. And he said that what we're trying to do as writers is give our readers or our audience what they want in a way that they don't expect. And that, I think, is just like, that's it. If you can figure out a way of doing that, because especially in the private eye genre, we've all read. I mean, there's so much great private eye literature out there already and currently being produced. So there's, you know, there's a huge amount of stuff in that part of the mystery marketplace, if you will. And you have to come up with something that's different. You can't just mimic books that you like, you know, easy and alluring as that may be. Because why try to write like Raymond Chandler when Raymond Chandler did such a great job of writing like Raymond Chandler? Precisely. The world doesn't, the world doesn't really need that. I mean, one of my favorite writers today is George Pelicanos, and he's got a great private eye series. And, you know, again, um, I'm grateful for the fact that I don't have to try to write like George because I don't think I could. I mean, you know, I, I really like what he's doing, but fortunately I don't have to write like George because he's doing that. I can, you know, I can work my end of the street and you know, just enjoy what he's doing without trying to be like him. Exactly. And so, so, you know, we have to find like, those voices within ourselves. Yeah, I was doing a, I was doing a radio show and someone called in and uh, he started talking about a scene that he had written a couple of years ago and he was quoting dialogue, you know, from memory. And I mean, for him, for that writer, those characters are really alive inside his head. And it's not a psychosis. You know, this is something that we all walk around with and we're playing with this, you know, it's like, it's like this very intricate thing that we're all trying to deal with in some way. And so if we can make those characters that are alive for us, alive for our readers, then I think we're succeeding as authors. I agree with you completely. It's funny you bring up George Pelicanos because uh, both of you write about the real DC, as I call it. Not DC as a federal city, but DC as a city. And I really appreciate that about both of, of your work. Um, uh, what do, Tell me a little about why you decided to write about D.C. and what your feelings are about uh, D.C. as a city and well, how it's, how would, it's uh, pertinent to the, the genre you're writing in. Well, I think that, you know, again, borrowing from other writers, you look at someone like Raymond Chandler, where Los Angeles is actually a character in his books. And so I think that Pelicanos is excellent at portraying the character of the city of Washington. And, but the things that are interesting or the things that he finds revealing are different from the things I find revealing. But the fact is, is that if I were living in Chicago, I'd be writing about a Chicago private eye. If I lived in LA or Milwaukee or wherever, I think it's for me important to be in the place where I want to write about because I draw inspiration from walking down those streets. 
And I can't do that with, you know, I don't really get that with Google Earth. You know, I can't, I have to kind of be there. And so writing about Washington for me is also fun because there's inherent conflict. You know, we were talking about conflict earlier in Washington. I mean, you know, the, the, the major conflict in Washington is between the people that live and work and die here and the federal government, which is kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, sort of like, like a big spaceship that descended upon us. <laughs> I look at the Capitol <laughs> Dome. I look at the Capitol Dome sometimes. I see, you know, I, I'm going past it almost every day. I drive down <laughs> North Capitol Street, you know, from where I live. So I'm always seeing it. My daughter, when she saw my daughter, who was a little girl at the time, said, oh, look, there's a merry-go-round. And I thought, well, you're not far wrong there. So, but, you know, there's, there's this movie called The Day the Earth Stood Still, directed by Robert Wise. I'm not talking about this terrible remake with Keanu Reeves. I'm talking about the original film. And this giant flying saucer lands. They're playing a baseball game on the mall, just, you know, some kids. And this huge giant saucer just, just lands on the field. Everyone scatters and screams. And it's sort of like, that's my idea of what the federal government is doing in Washington. It's just like, you know, it's like this sort of alien presence that we have to deal with. But we, we know they're not really like us in some ways, but in other ways they are like us. And we're just trying to, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit like Battlestar Galactica that way. <laughs> or to serve man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, you know, the Twilight I love the Twilight Zone, and I'm watching every single episode from the very beginning to the very end on Netflix, and it's just great. And yeah, yeah, there's some certain similarities between different episodes. I mean, there was some recycling going on, but generally, it's very imaginative and it's very creative. And you see a lot of a lot of actors and directors who are going to be very big in the future, you know, cutting their teeth and you know, getting exactly. experience on the Twilight Zone. So it's a great show. Those old shows and old movies are great. I, I mean, I can't agree with mm. you more there. Um, there's a, there, I just want to say also, uh, there's a writer named Richard Matheson, and he wrote a lot of great fantasy work. Uh, I Am Legend is one of his, and he also wrote some original things for The Twilight Zone that are really, really good. So if you don't want to watch the entire series episode by episode the way I am, uh, you could just Google Richard Matheson and Twilight Zone, and you can get some of the very best of the Twilight Zone series that way. I mean, I think Rod Serling was no slouch either. He wrote most of the Twilight Zone episodes. And I remember uh, reading, he, he made them into short stories and published them as a collection, which I read when I was, I think, 10 years old. And I really loved it. You know, so that kind of fiction has always really appealed to me also. Me it, wasn't until, it wasn't until I was 18 that I started reading detective and private eye fiction. And it was a film director named Willard Carroll, who was a classmate of mine at USC, who turned me on to Raymond Chandler. So uh, that was my introduction to private eye fiction. And I knew after I read the first Raymond Chandler novel at age 18 that I wanted to write a private eye novel. It just took me a couple of decades to get there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me, tell us about your uh, latest Willis Gidney book. Oh, uh, well, it's called Blue Anthem. And I hesitate because I'm still writing it, so I don't really want to talk about it too much. But it's uh, Drink the Tea, uh, Willis, who grew up in DC's juvenile justice system, finds an abandoned child in Drink the Tea. And in the second book, Steal the Show, he's trying to help this kid by adopting her. And it doesn't, ultimately it doesn't work out for him, but it works out for her. 
And so that's good. And he's, he's okay with it. And the third book, the family that adopted her is in some serious trouble from the gang in DC because uh, of someone witnessing the murder. So it's Gidney's job really to try to protect them because they're the only family he has. Even though they're not his family per se, you know, he, uh, he's sort of been adopted by them. <laughs> so uh, he, he's, he's trying to help them. And that's basically what the book is about. Okay. Well, um, I look forward. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to hone that. I'm trying to hone that speech down a little bit too. <laughs> it's like it's good that you asked me because you know I think that all writers should be able to give the plot, the, the essence of the story, in 25 words or less. Yeah, you know, keep the story in your head. You know, it's something I, I've done a lot of book signings, and people will say to me, you know, what's your book about? Mm -hmm. And I really had to think. You know, like, wow, I, I hate synopsizing my book, but it's a really good thing to do for a writer. It's a good exercise. It keeps you on point while you're writing. Yeah. Keeps you yeah. on. Well, um, it sounds interesting, and I love your work, so I'm really looking forward to it coming out. Thank you. Thanks. Um, I also wanted to give a, uh, a uh, kind of plug to your short story, Erased. Oh, yes. Part of the package. Oh, wait, oh, wait. Here's comes. Here comes. Oh, wait, wait. What's that? It looks uh -huh. like it's a bookmark. Why would someone who has an ebook erased as an ebook, right? You can get it as a Kindle book. Why would someone be dumb enough to buy bookmarks to hand out to an ebook? It's like, well, here I'm giving you this piece of paper here. Uh, no, the book doesn't actually exist. It's just electronic. But I've got a big box of these. If you want anyone, know anyone who wants some bookmarks, please let me know. But yeah, the book is called Erased, and uh, it some of it takes place in Washington D.C. But also, you know, I work as a filmmaker, and I've done a lot of work at the Holocaust Museum, and I've shot interviews with survivors of Auschwitz and Birkenau, and I've heard stories about the Holocaust from people who were there. And that had a big impact on me. And so Erased, I'm taking some of that information that I learned and stuff that really affected me and putting it into short story form. So there are a couple of Willis Gidney short stories in there for people that love Gidney. And there are also uh, two stories that uh, have the Holocaust as, as part of what's going on. One of them takes place during the Holocaust in Poland, and the other one takes place uh, present day. But the, uh, you know, it, it's such an overwhelming subject. I mean, it's so big, it's so vast, there's so much there. And it's kind of, it's kind of staggering to consider writing a story that takes place in the Holocaust. But I was working on a project last year for History Channel and ran across a character who was sort of caught in the middle and he was fascinating and there's not much written about him. So, uh, but I'm thinking that he would be a great character for a historical mystery novel that uh, takes place during that time period in Germany. Well, I have yeah. to tell you, it is a very moving story uh, oh, yeah, you mean erased. erased, yes. Uh -huh. And oh, um, yeah, well, thanks. Suspenseful yeah. and a, a kind of heartbreaking, and I mean heartbreaking, just heartbreaking, mm -hmm. and it's and it's you know yeah. telling. Yeah, and, 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 and ending that it, it's just packs a punch. <laughs> well, that's you know I think a good short story you know should do that absolutely, and that's. Uh, yeah, the, 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 again, you know, we were talking about character earlier, and it's what the lead character in a race experienced that drives him to do the things that he does. And they're not things that you or I would do, but the things that, you know, 
he not only wants to do them, he's got to do them. He's compelled to do them. Yeah, there's, there's a great book by Michael Chabon called The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. And I think it won a Pulitzer. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't really care if it did or not. I think it's one of the best books I've read in the last 10 years. And so the two lead characters are trying to come up. It's, it's about the, the birth. It's partly about the birth of the comic book. And the two lead characters are trying to come up with a superhero. And they say, well, he could do this. He could have this power. He could have that power. But the guy who's the wiser of the two says, you know, it's not so much, it's not important so much what this guy can do. The important thing is, why is he doing it? You know, I mean, like, this is the thing that we love about Batman. It's not like, okay, well, he's a millionaire. I mean, you know, it's like that. You don't see Donald Trump putting on black tights and a cape and a cowl. You know, I mean, maybe the guy should put a paper bag over his head. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, you're, you're really rich. Why do you want to dress up like a giant bat and scare the hell out of people? You know, but this is this is what. You know, his thing is, this is what he really wants to do. And I think it's just, you know, it's so great as a character to have that happen. So, you know, there's there's another example of a character who's, you know, it's not so much what Batman can do. Yeah, he's amazing. But why is he doing it? Mm -hmm. I think the really compelling thing about that whole, that whole series. I'm going to squeeze in one more question before we uh, end this. Um, how do you manage to find the time to do both filmmaking and novel writing? That must be very well, demanding. You know, uh, I find the time to do filmmaking because that's how I earn a living. And, you know, paying the mortgage, paying for groceries, it's, it's a great motivator. So, uh, but also I love it. I mean, I started working, I've been filming things a lot longer than I've been writing things. I started working with film cameras as a kid. I didn't even know what I was doing, loading and unloading, you know, spools and, you know, putting threading the film through the gate of the camera and closing it and, you know, and then just having fun with it. So, you know, shooting films with my friends and things like that. So eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old. And then uh, going into still photography and having my own dark room and then going to film school and then working in the business for like the last four years I like to think about. So it's really been great. So the filmmaking for me is really like the primary thing. But it's also a great way of getting source material for writing. And after a while, I had so much source material, I knew I wanted to write a private eye novel. So I started pouring it into Drink the Tea and Steal the Show, and now this new book that I'm writing. And also, you know, I've done a lot of crime shows for Discovery Channel, and I've made a lot of contacts with police departments around the country. So I'm in touch with cops, and I have questions about what I'm doing. I can shoot them an email and say, what would you do in this situation? Or could this happen, what I'm talking about here? So, you know, I'm trying to use those connections to keep the writing somewhat real because I don't really live in that world. I mean, I'm not a policeman. I'm not a criminal, you know. So, but I think I may be getting close because I was at uh, a reception for uh, uh, some sort of celebration not too long ago, and a woman had read the first two books and said to me, did you grow up in the juvenile justice system in D.C.? <laughs> and I thought, like, wow, that is like the nicest compliment anyone's ever given me. Because I said, no, no, I, you know, I hadn't. And she said, well, it's spot on. I mean, I don't know how you did it, but you really captured what's going on or what was going on back at the time that Willis was going through it. So, and it was a lot of research. And I did talk to a lot of people. And it was just really great that someone who had no connection to me whatsoever just happened to come up and tell me that. So, uh that's really fun. And, you know, 
someday, who knows, I might be too old and feeble to pick up a camera, in which case I'll probably spend a lot more time writing. But right now, you know, I have to balance it. So the short answer is that on days where I'm not filming anything, I'm writing. I'll spend, you know, three to four hours of that day just trying to work on the book and work on the next book and read and research and do all those things. And on days where I'm shooting, I usually don't have time to do any writing at all. I mean, I probably should, but I don't, honestly. So that's kind of the way it works. So like a week or two could go by where I haven't written a single word. But even though that's true, I'm still thinking about it. Um, you know, those characters are alive in my head. And I hope if I can write it well enough that they'll become alive in yours too. Well, I have to say that, that com the uh, comment from that woman has to be one of the greatest compliments a writer can get. And uh, it speaks to the quality of your writing. So uh, on that note, I just want to say thank you so much for appearing. And well, you're welcome. Um, Thanks for asking me. Certainly. And you're online at, uh, is it thomaskaufman.com? Yeah, thomaskaufman.com. And if you go there, you can see, uh, of course, all the writing stuff, mystery stuff. You can read uh, chapters from my books. But on the other side of the website, if you're interested in seeing some of the film work that I've done, there are many, many uh, video clips that you can look at. And uh, I run a blog on each of the two sites. So, cool. You know, yeah, if you, if you get a chance. Oh, and also, I just wanted to mention, you knew this was coming, right? Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> this is uh, something that my wife did. Uh, Katie Dell Kaufman is uh, an artist I'm very lucky to be married to. And uh, she has her own website. So Katie, K-A-T-I-E-D-E-L-L, Katie Dell Kaufman. Dot com. So if you're interested in collage, uh, encaustic art, this is uh, encaustic paint was created by the Greeks and it has a wax base instead of an oil base. And so she's doing collage and assemblage. Very cool stuff. So if you get a chance, you can stop by there too. Cool. Thank you very much. Well, I had to plug her, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. No problem. I hope she'll do that for, listen, when she does this, I hope she's going to plug me. That would be very nice. yeah. Certainly. Um, all right then. Well, thank you so much for being here today. And, uh, I look forward to reading your book com coming okay. up. Well, um, I'll let you know, I'll let you know when it, when it happens. Thank hopefully, you. Hopefully it'll be out next year. That's my hope. Good. Excellent. Okay. We can always use more good crime fiction. And, uh, I would like to remind everybody once again, this is the Crime Cafe. All the authors appearing on Crime Cafe have have contributed to the Crime Cafe Season 1 Story Package, which you can get for 99 cents at crimecafe.net. And uh, on that note, I'll simply say again, thank you to Tom Kaufman. You're and, welcome. Uh, I'll be talking to you all in two weeks. So thanks and have a great day.